Good afternoon. That's five o'clock. It's five o'clock on Tuesday, November the 1st. Uh, welcome to this week's What Comes Next Live, where we talk with inspirational leaders about, well, whatever is on their mind and sometimes what comes next. Really pleased to, to note today that for my, for the hundredth show in this series, a little bit of a milestone, my guest is my dear friend Gordon Ball who I can wave at because he only lives a few miles away. Um, and Gordon and I first met over a decade ago when I joined a business coaching organization called Sherlaws. Um, and we've, it's fair to say we've got to know each other a lot better now that we live about four miles apart rather than 4,000 plus miles apart when, when I lived overseas. Um, uh, I, yeah. That's about that's about enough intro from me. Um, over to the man with the drinks cabinet behind him. Welcome, welcome aboard, Gordon. That, thank you very much. The, the drinks cabinet is a, a nice piece uh, in as much or drink shelf rather, in as much as that became a thing right at the beginning of COVID. When you know, one week like most people, I've never heard of Zoom, and a week later, I'm doing everything on Zoom. And on LinkedIn, I think it was, it said it's very important, really important that you have a professional background while you're on your Zoom calls. So I thought, that'll look fine. And um, if, if I pardon the pun, as it were, it's gone down a treat ever since. So um, everybody's response to it normally is, oh, can I come around for a drink? Um, and after a couple <laughs> of years, after a couple um, of years, we did that. Well, you were there. We had a garden party mm-hmm. in August uh, 2021. Uh, where everybody who'd been on a Zoom plus a few others um, came round, and we certainly had some drinks from the shelf. In fact, you you themed the whole thing with invites and kind of cocktail maker and everything. Yes. So for for the listening audience, I'll I'll describe it in audio. Um, basically, Gordon's got a cabinet behind him, um, which is absolutely stocked full of uh, a hard liquor. And uh, Stone's ginger wine, I can see, is all kinds of stuff. In, in, if I if I squint, um, so yes, it was. And that was that was a great um, um, summer event in your back garden. Must have been sixty plus people there yeah. of widely varying backgrounds. And I remember the person I came with. They said, uh, "What kind of people will be here?" I said, "They're all going to be the same." And as we walked up, as we walked in the garden, they, I could see that they could relax because nobody wants to be in a homogenous party where everybody's the same. I said, and what they realized was they're all different, but what was all the same about them is they were all business people, entrepreneurs of all kinds of different varieties. So, um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and then what's on your mind? What are you focused on? What's, what are you thinking about? Okay. So, uh, I'm 66. I'm a husband, father, grandfather. Just had another grandchild last week. Uh, youngest daughter, Alice, produced a little girl called Ruby. Ruby and Diana after my wife, um, which is delightful. So that's our, our eighth grandchild. Um, ex, well, no, I'm still paying my subscription to the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England. I know um, Tom always thinks they're the, that's the second rate. Um, uh, Institute of Chartered Accountants after the Scottish Institute. Oh, you're just, you just weren't the first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was a rating thing rather than the history. No, 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 we were just the first. We were just the first out there. Okay. Um, so I'm still paying my subscription to the Institute. Um, but these days I very much focus on, uh, my business coaching. As Tom said, we met at a, a business 
which I'm very grateful for still, which is Sherlaw's and taught me so much. And I still learn stuff every day within the frameworks and tools of that. I learn a lot from you as well, Tom, which is great. So I sort of switched from being chartered accountant come consultant when I was about early 50s, I suppose, into somebody who was much more interrogative and just looking to learn about other people's stories, other people's situations and really how people make decisions, myself included. And that, that to me is, you know, you said in the prompt or the, or the layout for today, it's very much around what's occupying you mostly. And mostly what I am being occupied right now is the my almost obsessive interest now in how people make decisions. Hmm. And that could be a decision about do we fly to Hong Kong to see our new grandchild? That's not me, by the way. That's somebody else. Um, how do I choose which shirt to wear today? Um, mm-hmm. what drinks to put on the shelf uh, behind me, as you nicely described? All of those things, tiny little decisions every day and how conscious people are. Cause I'm just staggered. I, I live in the borough of Croydon, which I think Tom does too. He is only four miles away. So are, are you, are you London borough of Croydon? Yes. We're the southernmost part of Greater London. Yeah. Yeah. So Tom, Tom's in the very posh part. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, I, and we're in the sort of middling posh uh, part of Croydon. Anyway, Croydon Council over the last few years have made some of the most appalling decisions hmm. around how to run things in the borough to the tune of losses that central government had to bail out. So Croydon Council went bust and they went bust to the tune of £600 million. We're a borough of 400,000 people, which is bigger than most people's towns in England. Um, if it was a city, I think it might be, I don't know, the 10th or 12th biggest um, place uh, in Britain. But we've gone bust to the tune of 600 billion. And I know vaguely, I've met them a few times, the people who were responsible for that. And at some level, they're nice people and up to a point they're, they're, they're not, they're intelligent. And the finance guy is a chartered accountant. But their behaviour, their decisions were somewhere between willfully neglectful and just utterly stupid. Hmm. And we've, you know, 400,000 people have lost 600 million pounds and the government bailed us out. And me and my kids live locally, two of my kids live locally. And all the other local schools and services, and Tom and I both know a, a very good client, Susanette, locally, who runs a charity in Croydon, who've had their funding um, cut massively. and. It's just how I'd love to know how those decisions got made. If you add to that the the Tory party um, circus that's gone on this year with selecting a leader and selecting a leader. Hmm. And again, the decisions they make around who they appoint and even when they stand on the, the steps of number 10 and how they choose the words they're going to deploy. Um, obviously, they have script writers and advisors and PR consultants and all the rest. But at the end of the day, they choose the words and they choose the emphasis. And um, really, that's what's occupying me, Tom, is the how on earth are people <laughs> managing to make some decisions that, in quotes, a number of people, in certainly in my bubble, go, how on earth did you make that choice? Hmm. Staggering. So that's uh, everywhere I look. And, you know, the old Chinese curse of may you live in interesting times. I, I, I don't watch soap operas as such. But I listen to the oldest or longest running soap opera, The Archers. But the world is a fantastic soap opera right mm-hmm. now. And everywhere you look, there's fascination, whether it be 
um, Lulu and Bolsonaro in Brazil, yeah. uh, the women in uh, Iran rioting, uh, the death of China uh, and its population predictions. Uh, Hong Kong friends have, have just flown out to Hong Kong. And that is a very locked down state and fascinating. China's attitude to Taiwan, um, the weather in um, Australia, which is positively biblical. You talk about the, the, the Cayman weather, having been out there to see our son back earlier in the year when the rain then was biblical. And it is still biblical uh, down the East Coast and in Victoria, in Melbourne. Um, it's bizarre. Um, everywhere you look, I find fascinating about decisions <laughs> made how they're made, uh, even to the point where some friends called in today. They're, they live in France and they're going through to Cambridge to see um, her mother. Um, anyway, from our house, which is at six o'clock on the M25 around London, we, we live at about the, the six o'clock mark down the bottom. So they will go up to Cambridge via the Dartford um, Tunnel and Bridge. And when, of course, we joke, ha well, so long as there's nobody stuck themselves to the bridge. And, um, you know, there's a lot of that about stop oil. And how do people decide to stick themselves to a bridge like 200 feet up on that bridge? Mm-hmm. I, I just I'm fascinated about. And also, how, how do you do it? And how do you <laughs> technically how do you do it? <laughs> technically, how do you do it? And how does how do the rescuers, whoever they are, mm. how do they unstick them? And I don't know. It's just fascinating. Yeah, how did those? But yeah, I know what we'll do. We'll put ourselves 200 feet up on the Dartford Bridge. Really? Well, it, well, uh, there's apart from a lot of very international, global, current affairs things you referenced there. There's at least half a dozen very British references in there. So for the international yeah. audience, you've got some things you can Google. What I'd say is broadly that the the orbital motorway of London. Um, at about the three o'clock on the clock, yeah. it, it crosses the Thames River where it's a wide estuary and there's things, something called the Dartford Crossing there that they go over. And there's some just stop oil protesters who, among other things, are gluing their hands with super glue to various things to cause, deliberately cause disruption. So like what's going through their mind? What's their thinking, et cetera? And I think it's, um, something that just came up. Uh, just yesterday I was on a thing, uh, one of my another past podcast guests, Rob Poynton, runs a quite holistic small group learning program called Yellow Learning. Mm. And they've, um, and so it's very unusual learning experience. We were on a group call yesterday and they took us through an example. I'm writing about it in my blog in a couple of days about, you know, being the director of the movie of your life and taking you through the movie making. It did also make me think of a, a, very dear friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, Ed Percival, who is my greatest mentor in life. And Ed used to run some training, which also involves some of this around presentation skills. Um, and his his analogy was, you know, always go to the point of greatest emotion uh, in a movie. And his analogy was, or his analogy was, there I stood on the burning bridge. So if you're actually telling the story of crossing of a a boat across the Atlantic, you don't start with acquiring the boat and filling it full of provisions. You you start at the point at which it looks like it's going to sink, and then people get interested. And what they were talking about last night, which fascinated me, was if you were to think about the story of your life, the bit that, co- that creates interest is moments of dilemma, right? Not not, And a dilemma is not interesting if it's a really obvious choice. 
But if you're choosing between two evils, uh, Sophie's Choice was a movie on that, or if you're choosing between two good solutions but you can't make your mind up, um, that makes an interesting dilemma. And and what's what was interesting to me was that like the, those decision points, what causes people to make decisions? So I think there's two things in there. One is how do people decide? What informs their choice? Um, and the second one is, you know, is around, you know, what what has them make the choice? So it's it's, it's slightly there's one is the how is the process. The other is the more like the why, why they do it. Um, leaping to one answer is. I'm aware that um, before the last election in the UK, um, it was pretty obvious to the people running the Tory campaign that they were going to get a landslide way before it was publicly obvious. But one of the reasons why is they invested massive amounts of money, I have no idea where from, under election campaign finance rules, but massive amounts of money to actually literally running focus groups and polling on a daily basis in a really highly organised way so that by the middle of the day, they could create the talking points for whichever talking heads were going on the evening news. Um, mm. So, they were, you know, everything was hyper-analyzed. Every word coming out of people's mouths was hyper-analyzed to the nth degree. And so I think my gut feel is that um, it reminds me of when the world came crashing down in 2008, um, when basically the book about Enron, for example, was called The Smartest Guys in the Room. And people are just getting too smart for themselves. And perhaps we could just actually, you know, we overcomplicate things before making decisions. And I think perhaps that work in the city might, might have gone into, um, might have actually gone into the world of politics and making decisions that impact people's lives day to day. Mm. Right? And it's just, it's just a thought. It's like, what if we just simplified, you know, why are we here? When's the last time you, you, you when, when they had the latest prime minister in the soap opera appointed by the MPs, um, one of the most passionate speeches by one of them the next day, which is quite a well, well put together little rant. Um, but what he was interested in was the party. At no point it was he interested in the people of the country. I think they, they yeah. sometimes on all sides, they forget who they're there to serve and they, they've overcomplicated it. Well, of course, you, you and I know that um, the best way to simplify things is just go up a notch contextually. Yeah. And um, wh where I've, again, become a little bit maybe like a broken record on this, most of my clients' work starts with old and new paradigm stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was listening to a really good comedy program on Radio 4. I listen to Radio 4 a lot, certainly in the evenings. And they have a comedy slot between... Six and six, uh, 6.30 and 7 most nights and there's at the moment there's one on a Monday called It's a Fair Cop and it's a policeman call, um, turned comedian who basically uh, involves his audience of 200 people in the studio as policemen and then he runs through one of his experiences of policing in Scunthorpe and uh, what came out of last night's one which is very funny the way he uh, put some very difficult um, judgments he has to make as a policeman on the beat. But the, the point about this around old and new paradigm was the targets that they were given for arrests and successful prosecutions uh, under all the various headings of domestic abuse, um, motoring offences, pure theft, break-ins, whatever it was, that is what drove their judgment mm. when they were making their choices on the street 
um, and when ap- trying to apprehend and prevent um, crimes happening. And it was entirely driven in that fear-based outcome stuff we talk about in old paradigm. Hmm. That they'd lost sight of their policing job of keeping the community safe, and they were entirely working towards delivering on their targets, which hmm. hadn't been set by them. They'd been set by the um, like regional police force and then handed out geographically um, to various forces within uh, Humberside, um, which, as he, he points out, is actually a um, statutory area that doesn't exist anymore, but they still have police forces within it. Um, and that, to me, was just a, my goodness me, that's outcome-driven stuff. And so much of it, so many of the decisions now, for, for whatever reason, seem to be outcome-driven and therefore fearful. Mm-hmm. But they tend to be short-term. Uh, they tend to be... As say very complicated then who are we trying to appease who are we trying to to please what what's this going to look like to other people what's it going to look like to me at my appraisal so you can throw the kitchen sink at the whole thing of making what should be a relative no you're supposed to be looking after the public and prosecuting the law out there on the beat that's it you don't have to worry about what your boss is going to say or what the what the um commissioner in your area is going to say but they lose sight of that. Like we've allowed life to become very complicated, as you say. And then you throw all that in. And I suppose, yeah, that's why you get some decisions that you look at them afterwards. You go, really? How did you? And hmm. at that moment, it was a fear-based decision. And part of that, well, something else I'm very, uh, what's the word, keen on at the moment is emotional intelligence. Um, a good friend of mine Lisa Allen with Islander, she does, um, she's putting emotional intelligence training into schools, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is massively admirable and uh, want to support her on that. Just because, yeah, life's complicated enough for children and, and she's doing this for teachers of primary age children. Um, just to try and get ahead of the complexity of life and just give people the confidence to make some simplified decisions contextually trust your emotions because they're probably there for a reason mm-hmm. trust your emotions but know how to use your emotional intelligence develop your emotional intelligence and then be able to use it and that way you might well end up with some better decisions on whatever it might be hmm. to just recap a couple of those thoughts um when you and i are talking about all the new paradigm really another way of framing that is old paradigm is decisions based on fear yeah. New paradigm is decisions based on trust and abundance, effectively. Yeah. Um, and what I'm kind of it's an interesting perspective that's that for me sits within what you said is that when we make short term reactive, you know, getting lost in the detail decisions like you need another 10 arrests in this category in Scunthorpe. Yeah. Um, it's it's often fear based. Whereas if you just go, look, we're here to um, keep the public safe and they need to trust the police. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, OK. So uh, and another thing you were talking about is this distinction between, again, raising the context is doing the source activity that will then de- generate the outcomes. Yeah. And both you and I love business and, and we often love to focus on that within this context of leadership and decision making. And, you know, Often we get really, I mean, we're, we're, en- we're going to be entering into a very deep recession for quite a, a very, very tough period of time in the UK and many, de- many economies around the world. And if you're in business, it's going to be really hard. Um, 
one of the things is going to be, okay, what do we focus on? Mm. Because it's going to be exhausting because you're going to have to focus on keeping the wolf in the door, having cash in the bank for payroll every month, etc. But also, like, why are we here? What are we here to do? What's what? You know, it's, it, all of that stuff needs to be looked at because it's just it's really exhausting to operate from fear. Now, we all do it from time to time. Yeah. Um, but if instead we go like, OK, why are we here? What are we what are we brilliant at? What do we need to focus on? Um and we saw this, we don't have to look back very far. We saw this a lot. Um, you know, a lot of the egos and personalities went out the window when it, as soon as the COVID hit in March 2020. And I really, in, to be honest, on a professional level, I really enjoyed the next few months because all of the egos dropped away and people went, what do I need to do? What decisions do I need to make? What do I need to focus on? And, you know, some of my podcast guests have talked about that. And, you know, one of them who um, led one of the big accounting firms in Canada, uh, Pat Kramer, just really said, well, we just focused on our people. That's it. Everything was about, everything was about supporting our people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's a fairly common thread there. And when you have that, you know, one of my adages is, which I actually wrote about in today's, <laughs> today's blog at a level, is if you get clear on the why, the how is easy, you know? Yeah. So um, how do we, you know... Uh, to be honest, for me, more it often baffles me is that why why don't people think about the why? Because um, the, the catchphrase used by somebody else that I put in the blog was, you know, short term um, easy, you know, short term is easy, but it leads to a hard life, mm. right? Long term long term decision making is hard, but leads to an easy life. Isn't that, that that that's sort of paraphrasing a little bit? Is it the SAS or the paratroopers or whoever have that train hard and fight easy? Or something like that. You know. Well, I, I, I don't know, but I, what I did reference was in in athletics or in any kind of sport or, or not, you know, Americans. I don't mean athletics as in track and field, but in any kind of athletic endeavor. Um, and I, you know, I was a pretty decent athlete myself, and my my sons were, and I worked with pro cycling teams and other professional athletes. My a two time guest on the show, my first guest was Mark Beaumont, who's an elite athlete, around the world cyclist, and. In sports, it's hard, you train really hard and it's to go better or faster or whatever, it's harder and harder to a certain point. Mm. But when you get to an elite level, the e- you have to go easy to go better. Mm. And if you think about whether it's football or a rugby player making an amazing move or, you know, a tennis player or a squash player doing something quite stunning or a Formula One driver making a pass. Uh, the the time slows down and they get into a state of what's called flow. Mm. So yeah, it's like um, they don't have to make decisions at that point because they're just doing. They've done all the source activity. So j- just going back a little bit on what you said there about the beginning of lockdown, um, uh, March 2020, um, and I would echo that piece that ego went a little bit out of the door because people somewhere between panic and uh, anger. Uh, was the emotion going around the place and the language now we've got from our leader well our last leaders have been very much oh we're going to have to make some hard choices so the language is already out there this is a difficult time and you you said it's going to be we're in recession it's going to be hard yes but my but is that like with um, the beginning of covid there's a stack of opportunities if you can actually just raise your head above the parapet a little bit 
actually work contextually about, as you said, at source, what are we good at? What can we do? What's the skill set? What are the resources we've got? The world's still going to spin. You know, there's still going to be consumption and spending and there's still going to be need for innovation and supply of whatever it might be. I don't know. But there is a ton of opportunity there. And so long as we convince ourselves it's going to be hard, you know what it's like. It will be hard. That's true. But, you know, if we actually just do the bit of contextually, what I'm, and as you said, why am I why am I even in business? And I had that conversation with a number of clients early on. And I've had a couple lately. If things are bad, just pack it in. Yeah. And a lot of clients will go, I can't stop. I can't stop. This is my life. Well, all the numbers show it's not great. And then when you look at what might be coming around the corner, it's not going to get much better for you. And there was a big word, wasn't there, early um, in the recession, in the lockdown about pivoting, wasn't there? Hmm. The big stuff around. Yeah. Well, what have you got? What can you do? What's your skill set? Who do you know? What are the assets in your business? And just have a bit of a rethink. You don't have to keep banging your head against this brick wall, particularly as this brick wall may be getting thicker and bigger. So let's go and find another brick wall. Uh, also. So I think um, if, if I, you know, we're talking about decision making today, um, mm-hmm. is what's on your mind. And one of the things that I is top of mind for me right now is, is delaying decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody was asking me, so why, you know, why do people do that? And I went, I'm not the right person to ask because well, anybody who knows me knows that I'm, and I don't, I, I've not introspected and analyzed this, but I'm not somebody who delays decisions. Mm. Once I have the facts, if anything, in, I hope I'm not like this anymore, but if anything, at times I've made decisions too fast out of sometimes fear of not making a decision. But actually, you know, why there is nothing that the right, this, you know, (laughs) we'll often regret not making a decision early enough. We rarely regret making a decision early later on. (laughs) Um, You know, there are a lot of things we hold on to. And and business people, their businesses, their small business owners, their business is their baby and they hate to be a, hate to be a failure. Um, Yeah. But, but, you know, we've got, um, Mutual friends that you introduced me to, Paul Bailey and Tom Ahmad, who are two amazing guys in our uh, region of South London, who their why, um, and I, you know, we both worked with them. I remember going for a long walk with them when that was all you're allowed to do during the pandemic. And it became really clear their why is simple. It's to help business. Mm. And they're insolvency practitioners. So, you know, the public perception might be they're just there to wind things up. But they they really, really would love, and they do a lot of this, try to talk to people, business owners, earlier at the time. So, right, I'm actually having lunch with them in a couple of days. They're actually, I imagine, in their element right now because they're, not because their business will be full of people going insolvent, which, to be honest, it's going to be quite busy for them the next couple of years, but mm-hmm. really because they have the opportunity to live their why and get out there and talk to people about What's going on in your business? Here are some options available to you. Here's what you could do, you know, and, and make the decision at the right time, not not delay it or go too early, for example. But that's a really good point, Tom, and it kind of uh, it might be a good way to sort of move towards the end of this, i.e. that just the best question you can ever ask is why? Hmm. Yeah, why am I doing this? Why am I going into work? Why am I being a plumber or a lawyer or a whatever it is? Why am I doing it? Just check in. It's worth Mm-hmm. It's worth checking in with your why and see how robust it is. 
Mm-hmm. And possibly, um, well, it probably won't change much, but it's actually, I think a lot of people have lost sight of their why. You know, mm-hmm. what is their purpose? Why are you on the planet? And if you can connect with that why, as, as you and I both know, and my clients know too, when they've connected with it, it just makes the world a better place. And it removes that anxiety. And you say fear, living in a fear space or even a not source space is absolutely exhausting. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if you can live in the, in that wonderful, inspiring, oh, I get why I'm here. I get, like you said, with Tom and yeah. Paul, you say, we're just here to help business. And, yeah, they, and that, 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 they have delightful lives as a result of it. And the funny thing is, I remember that inflection point. I remember that moment, mm. right, walking with them when it just popped out of one of their mouths. And I, and I just got goosebumps and I went, that's it. And I think one of the, so one of the recommendations and, um, is, you know, both of us have a, a, a why that's kind of similar to that. So we have to live that through yeah. our work. Um, and, you know, if people, people, folk like you and I professionally are really good at listening for that from people and asking the questions and being curious and helping to work that out. So it's, there's going to be change. There's going to be challenge. And in, in every challenge, there is an opportunity, right? So, or sometimes more than one. So a recommendation that comes to me to say is that it's find somebody who can help you get to that why easier and faster than you can on your own. Yeah. And if that's a coach like Gordon Bull or Tom McCallum or somebody else like that in your area or that you feel is a fit for you, just go talk to them. You know, if it, I know if it, I'm, I'm speaking for you and speaking for me, I'm very happy to jump on a Zoom call with people or to, yeah. um, you know, they don't have to say, oh, what's it going to cost? Where's a client or whatever? But I'm happy to have lunch with people, coffee or whatever, yeah. and just do that. And sometimes in one conversation, it pops out. The- or at least it gets them closer. And that, that to me, energizes me. Have the conversation. And quite often when I've spoken to people, look, the best people I have to ask, actually, might well be your mum and dad. Yeah. Or your brother, your sister, or yeah. your business partner of 10 years. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, just start a conversation. Put yourself on that questioning mode and just ask other people what they see in you. And a lot of people, oh, you can't ask that. Well, yes, you can. Just say, well, when you're, well, I mean, else, what do you say about me? What do you find yourself saying about me when you're out and about? And that will give them that feedback a little bit. And generally speaking, people are much better than they ever think they are. I, other people have a higher opinion of them than they have of themselves. I totally agree. And I'll just give people a, 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 a tip on this, which I give to many people in this position. In, and I'll be very specific about it. I'll say to them, find 10 to 12 people who are cross-section of your friends, family, and work colleagues. Yeah. They need to know you well, whether it's from childhood or whether it's from now. Send them an email, and the email needs to say exactly this. I'm working with a coach. They've asked me to, to ask a number of people to, to tell me about myself. Yeah. Perfect. And, yeah, and, 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 and so that's it. Literally two sentences. Now, the reason for saying you're working with a coach is because that is to stop them asking questions about why you're asking. It gives them yeah. somebody, somebody yeah. to, to pin it on. And if they say, well, what am I supposed to write? How much am I supposed to write? It says, yeah. that's my instruction from the coach is tell me about myself. Yeah. And, and I'll tell them that some people will not reply. Some people will ask 10 questions. You just keep repeating back the one line instruction. And some people will immediately send you back three pages on an email. Some people will send you three bullet points. 
because we all have different processing styles. And the advice then on the exercise is print all of those out on paper and get some highlighter pens in different colors and and highlight the words and phrases that, that ring true for you. So you can do a word cloud kind of thing, can't you? You can do a word cloud. You can do a, you can use a word cloud um, app or something. Yeah. And it says, and when you've done that, give me a call. Yeah, perfect. And it, and it might take you two or three weeks. And it's it's a very cool exercise. And what I'd finish, I'll finish with on that uh, for, for myself. Then I'll throw over to you to to wrap up for us. Um, is that echoing your point about childhood and and parents and brothers and siblings, for example, is that when we're at our most innocent, like you mentioned your friend Lisa who's working with primary schools, when you're at that age, primary three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, mm. um, that typically is when you're formed enough as a human to be to still be, you're not shy to do whatever, mm. right? but you're pretty clear on who you are. And there was there's a video, um, which is tough to find, but is out there somewhere, of Oprah Winfrey interviewing Sheryl Sandberg for about 45 minutes. And what was really stunning about it was the why of both of these amazing women came straight straight out. And Sandberg, despite her formal roles, is all about empowering women, mm. her own way of doing it. And what was fascinating about Oprah was that she realized at the age of three why she was on this planet. And she's never varied from it. Yeah. <laughs> And so, if you can get that, it is kind of the sunny uplands. It gives you the clarity, it gives you the energy um, around how you make decisions. So, no, I think that's a nice way to finish it, Tom. What's your why, Gordon? Uh, is to heal the world. There you go. And with that... <laughs> and on that bombshell. Do you have some, some final um, bon mots, some words of wisdom for our audience, Mr. Ball? Um, what they would be would be around get in touch with your feelings, get in touch with your emotional intelligence, create some emotional intelligence. Uh, there's a ton of it out there um, on the web. My friend Lisa, I, I land her, she'd be happy to talk to anybody. But it's really that's the way I think that's that that will heal the world if more people can have a greater sense of their emotional intelligence. And a big part of that, like you said earlier, opposite the fear space. It's just trust your own emotions, but you need to trust your processing of your emotions. And once you can do that more, you have emotional intelligence and then you'll make better decisions all day, every day. Thank you very much, Gordon Ball. That was an inspiring conversation from a leader I greatly admire. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Cheers, Tom.